Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well... Good morning. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. There's actually supposed to be a music intro, but as you'll learn if you listen in often enough, either to the live version of the program or the recorded version, uh, I don't do technology so well. I'm betting that the music intro will play next time. But I'm delighted that you uh, have joined in, uh, whether you're listening live or uh, in a recorded version. This program, as you know, airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We're going to explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. Now, um, this is your time. This is your 45 minutes. So um, if you have a question or comment, the call-in number is 347 994-2981, once again, and I often try to remember to repeat this number in the middle of the program and never remember to do that, but here it is at the beginning of the program, uh, 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. Let's talk about your challenging child, and let's think about what we can do to make things better. So if you're working with a child at home, who's not responding very well to Plan B, if you're running into trouble getting the folks at school to use the model, maybe you're having success with it at home, but things are falling apart at school. If you're having difficulty getting your husband or the grandparents or the soccer coach or the hockey coach to buy in, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the model. Um, some folks are a little hesitant to call in, so you can always send me a question electronically, and I'll uh, get it during the program and uh, read it. Um, I've got a few that I may read today, um, but you can submit a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That website is www dot lives with a v in the balance dot org www.livesinthebalance.org uh, there's a uh, contact form on the uh, website and I'll get that immediately by email and if you're not extremely enthusiastic about the idea of being heard on the program well I'll read your question and you won't have to be heard so Here's what I thought we'd start with this week. This is the inaugural Collaborative Problem Solving at Home program. Many of you know that uh, I've been doing this program for educators uh, since maybe around mid-November. thought I would get my feet wet with educators, especially as a list of technology. Um, and uh, that program seems to be very helpful for lots of folks who are 
joining in, either live or listening at their convenience. But because this is the inaugural program for parents, I thought it would be a good idea to just provide a basic overview of collaborative problem solving and how different it is from other models of thinking about why challenging kids are challenging and what we ought to do to help them. But even though I'm doing treating this show as a bit of a introductory overview show, if you have a question, once again, don't hesitate to call in. Um, quite frankly, uh, audience participation um, is what really makes this show especially interested, interesting. All right. So, you know, um, we've been thinking about and dealing with challenging kids for a very long time. And, um, boy, there's so many different ways to think about why a challenging kid is challenging. But um, if there is a prevailing point of view about how challenging kids come to be challenging, I'm sorry to report it's that they've been disciplined poorly at home. And I'm not saying those of you familiar with collaborative problem solving already know that's not what I believe. I'm just talking about what a lot of folks believe. Oh, you know what? I'm seeing that I could have uh, made the music play on my own. It's supposed to happen automatically. Want to hear the intro before I get going? Uh, maybe more important to me than it is to you. Let's see if it works. At night. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at... All right, we don't need to listen to that whole thing. Just to show you that uh, even people who are technologically challenged can learn. Um, the prevailing wisdom, if you want to call it that, about why challenging kids are challenging is that they've been poorly disciplined at home. Their parents, goes the conventional wisdom, are passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians. Passive. You're not acting like the boss enough. Permissive. You're letting the kid do whatever he wants. Inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you put your foot down on the same thing, sometimes you don't. Non-contingent. Um, the way you're treating your kid isn't contingent on his behavior. You're nice even when he's not. Um, you don't punish him when you ought to. You're not rewarding the stuff you want to see more of. That's the conventional wisdom. And intentionally or not, and I actually think it was unintentional, but intentionally or not, that conventional wisdom has many people blaming parents for their children's misbehavior. And that's a pity because I don't think it's true. It also has us it also has parents, because they've been told that they're passive, permissive, inconsistent, and non-contingent, believing that if they were just firmer, a lot less permissive, much more consistent, and much heavier on the rewarding and the punishing, then things will be better. I find uh, that has us not only viewing parents of challenging kids through the wrong lenses, but it has us viewing challenging kids through the wrong lenses and has us doing things to challenging kids that are, at the very least, at the very least, 
very counterproductive. Also, a lot of what people do based on the conventional wisdom to challenge in kids, in my experience, actually sets the stage for a lot of their worst behavior. We, we took a, long, a wrong turn a long time ago as it relates to understanding challenging kids. Um, I find that parents of well-behaved kids tend to be inconsistent as well. I find that parents of well-behaved kids sometimes can be passive and permissive, and they can get away with it because their children are well-behaved. Let's start taking the right turn, and the first step in taking the right turn is to understand why challenging kids are challenging. And if you've read The Explosive Child or Lost at School, um, or if you're familiar with collaborative problem solving in some other way, then you already know why challenging kids are challenging. They're lacking the skills not to be challenging. If they had the skills not to be challenging, they wouldn't be challenging. Not being challenging is far preferable to being challenging. Doing well is always preferable to not doing well, but only if you have the skills to pull it off. Challenging kids don't have the skills to pull it off. It's not that they're attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, limit-testing, unmotivated. It's that they're lacking crucial cognitive skills, especially in the domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, problem solving. If they had those skills, we'd be seeing them because just by the mere setup of things, doing well is preferable to not doing well. The conventional wisdom on a lot of challenging kids is that they're not doing well because they're getting their jollies that way. They're not well, who knows, maybe they are getting their jollies that way, but wouldn't they prefer to get their jollies in a more adaptive fashion? Yes, if they had the skills to pull it off. Is there some maladaptive behavior that is attention-seeking? Yeah, some of it. Is attention-seeking the main reason the kid is doing it? The kid is seeking attention maladaptively because he doesn't have the skills to seek attention adaptively. Seeking attention adaptively is always far preferable to seeking attention maladaptively if you have the skills to pull it off. See, I noticed something quite some time back. Challenging kids aren't challenging every second of every waking hour. They're challenging sometimes under certain conditions, in some situations. When are challenging kids challenging? When the world is demanding that they be flexible and adaptable, deal well with frustration, solve problems. I'm just putting two and two together here. If challenging kids are challenging when skills are being demanded of them and that's when they're challenging, that it must be that they're lacking those skills. Otherwise, we'd see the skills. See how the themes of collaborative problem-solving overlap? But we've just been left at the key theme of the model. Kids do well if they can. If your challenging kid could do well, 
he would do well. If he's not doing well, it must be because something's getting in his way. Now you know what's getting in his way. He's lacking the skills necessary for handling life's social, emotional, and behavioral challenges in an adaptive fashion. If he had those skills, we'd be seeing them, and he wouldn't be challenging. So the interesting thing here is, number one, um, we've just taken passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parenting off the table. We've just taken, so that, that takes care of you, We've just taken manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, limit-testing, unmotivated off the table. That takes care of your kid. At least it takes care of the things we've been saying about you and your kid for a very long time. We're going to have to replace it with something, though. Oh, we've also taken off the table perhaps many of the things that you've been doing for a very long time to try to help your kid. And maybe for a very long time you've been finding that those things that you've been doing weren't so helpful. Many, most of the parents who I see, most of the parents that I work with find collaborative problem-solving appealing at the very least because it's so different, a way of thinking and a way of operating with a challenging kid than what they've been doing. I have a... uh, email from a uh, parent that I received telling me that uh, she was raised by Plan A parents. Those Plan A parents now say that she herself is a poor parent because of her son's challenging behavior. Boy, that helps, doesn't it? Doesn't it help to be blamed for your kid's challenging behavior? I just, I just find that to be I mean, the great shame and North American society, anyways, is to have a kid who doesn't do what he's told. I can't think of in American society anything that's a whole lot more embarrassing than that. I suppose I could think of other things, but what could be more humiliating or embarrassing, especially in a world where people don't understand why kids do that, than having a kid lose it at the supermarket or Kmart or Target or Walmart, just lose it. And you know what the people who are observing you are thinking. And the reason they're thinking what they're thinking, they're thinking you're a passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarian. They're thinking thinking they know what that kid needs. And they're wrong. Blaming parents for the challenging behavior of their kid is something we have got to stop doing. So here we have a mom who's being labeled a poor parent because of her son's challenging behavior. I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. But this mom who was raised by Plan A parents is saying, Plan A is all I know how to do. But I'm learning Plans B and C from books and from the Lives in the Balance website. This mom's hoping that at some point she'll be knowledgeable enough to advocate for her son at school, get the school folks to do Plan B, and to get good at it at home. Well, that's what I see so often. People who've, those of you who are unfamiliar, Plan A is one of three ways of solving problems with kids. It's when you impose your will. And of course, if 
you think you've if you've been convinced that you've been a passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarian, plan A is what you ought to do. Impose your will. Impose your will a lot. Whenever something isn't going well, impose your will. That's how you teach a kid who's the boss. And then... If your kid doesn't respond well to plan A, and of course challenging kids don't, rewind the tape on the vast majority of challenging episodes and challenging kids, and what will you find? An adult using plan A. Plan A is what sets in motion challenging behavior. Why? Because plan A, having will imposed upon you, something most of us aren't actually all that keen on, requires skills to handle well. Skills like flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, problem solving. You throw plan A at a kid who's lacking those skills, throw plan A at a kid who, as I've sometimes said, doesn't have a plan A brain, you're going to set in motion challenging behavior. Now an interesting paradox. You may have heard me say this before. Which kids get more plan A thrown at them than any other type of kid? The challenging ones, the ones least equipped to handle it well. Of course, that makes no sense whatsoever. And yet, it's the conventional wisdom. It's still, I'm sorry to report, although I'm trying hard to do something about it, it's still what happens to challenging kids most often when they're challenging, and not just in North America, other places too. Here's a mom who's saying I was raised on plan A, been doing plan A with my kid. It's all I know how to do. But I'm willing to put some hard work in to rethinking this, rethinking my kid. Big difference between viewing a challenging kid through the prism of manipulative, attention-seeking, unmotivated, limit-testing, coercive, and seeing through a kid through the prism of lagging skills, boy, those are that's just that alone can make such a difference in families. Just getting the right lenses on. I, I know how freaked out I get when I one of my two kids is physically under the weather. And of course I'm a bit of a catastrophizer when it comes to the health of my kids. I'm always thinking the worst. I'm freaking. 103 free fever, I'm I'm worried. Other people, that's not their thing. They don't get so worried when their kid's sick. I do. What helps me worry less? Having somebody say to me, yeah, that's going around. Kid got a sore throat, uh, high fever, um, body aches. Yeah, about the 390th kid I've seen this week who had the same symptoms. Okay, now I feel better. Now I still feel bad for my kid because they're feeling bad, but at least I can, at least I know what's going on. Knowing what's going on is so huge. What a difference it is between knowing that your kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills and that those and that your kid's challenging behavior occurs especially under the conditions in which those skills are being 
demanded versus having people convince you that you're a passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarian and feeling blamed for your kid's challenging behavior. What a difference. Now, have you fixed everything yet? No. But do you at least understand, number one, what you got living in that household of yours? And you may have some well-behaved ones, too. Apparently, they've got skills you're challenging one hasn't got. But at least you understand what's going on with this one. You've got the right lenses on. Helping a challenging kid starts with making sure you've got the right lenses on and understanding why your challenging kid is so challenging. Lagging skills, developmental delay. Boy, that's a completely different set of lenses. Now you also know why all that plan A you've been doing, imposition of adult will, hadn't been working all that well. Number one, you may have a plan A non-responder in your household, a kid who doesn't have the skills to handle imposition of adult will very well. That's what you got. Now you know plan A, and, and you could go back and think about this. Think about the plan A you did and what your kid's reaction to that was. Now, you could, if you're wearing a different set of lenses, be thinking, well, the reading, reading doesn't like plan A is because I'm putting my foot down, and he doesn't like it when I put my foot down. He just wants his own way. Well, you want your own way, too, so on that point, he's not different than you are. But the reason he's not responding to plan A is because he doesn't have the skills to handle plan A. And next piece of important news, plan A isn't going to teach him any of these those skills either. So think back to some of the plan A you've done and think about what happened next, and you'll recognize plan A sets in motion challenging behavior. Imposition of adult will is often a very counterproductive way to try to go about going, going about solving problems with challenging kids. You can get, oh, you're, you might be thinking, Plan A works with my other one or my other two. Apparently, they've got the skills to handle Plan A. You can get away with Plan A with a regular old kid, a kid who's got the skills to handle Plan A. Well, they don't like it, but they've got the skills to deal with it. Your challenging kid doesn't have the skills to deal with it, and it may be making things worse. And it doesn't teach him any of the skills he's lacking. And it probably hasn't solved any of the problems that are setting in motion challenging behavior in the first place. So now let's talk about that a little bit. And I want to remind you of the call-in number once again. See, I remembered. Don't worry, I'm not going to play the intro again. The call-in number is 646-727-2691. 646-727-2691. If you're struggling with a challenging kid and need some support, you're having trouble convincing the grandparents or your spouse or somebody else who's important in your kid's life, if you're struggling to get the school on board, call in, 646-727-2691. Now, I'm about to segue from 
lagging skills to another important consideration, unsolved problems. As I mentioned earlier, challenging kids aren't challenging every second of every waking hour. They're challenging sometimes under some conditions in some situations. Those conditions or situations are called unsolved problems. So if, for example, homework is setting in motion challenging behavior, and we'd want to get more specific than that, maybe math homework, maybe division, now we're getting really specific, then doing division during homework is an unsolved problem. What you want to do is get on the Lives in the Balance website, and you'll see in the left-hand column that there's a tab called the paperwork. You want to get on there, and you want to open up the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. There's two versions of it. One is like a checklist. The other has sort of a rating scale attached to it. I'm not too picky about which one you use. I personally prefer the checklist. You want to print out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You want to start with the top section and check off the highly specific skills your kid seems to be lacking. So now I've just moved us beyond flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, and problem solving. There's a lot of skills that are much more specific than that. Those are the umbrella skills. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to get to know your kid through the prism, through the lenses of lagging skills. And by the time we're through thinking about the 20-some-odd lagging skills that are listed on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, we now understand why, when those skills are being demanded, your kid gets challenging. He's lacking the skills to deal with those demands more adaptively. But then, now that we have the right lenses on, now that we're viewing the kid and understanding the kid the right way, we're going to go down to the second section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, the unsolved problems section. And there's a home section there and a school section. Um, I guess you could, if you're thinking about your challenging kid at home, you could fill out the school section if you wanted to, but maybe as a way of helping the folks at school, if they don't already recognize that your kid's challenging behavior is occurring under certain very predictable, that's an important point, circumstances. I'll get back to the predictable part soon enough. But you probably want to be mostly focused on the home section. When? Over what? Where? Is your kid challenging? Is it homework? Which particular homework assignments? Is it coming out from in front of the screen to come into dinner? Is it being in front of the screen too much in the first place? Computer screen, TV screen, video game screen. Bedtime, very common unsolved problem at home. Waking up in the morning, common. Teeth brushing, common. These are all highly specific unsolved problems. And we've just arrived, once we have the right lenses on, at the most important part, the part that's going to propel us into the collaborative solving of problems. First, we've got to figure out what the problems are in the first place. That's why we're going to make a list. 
You can use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems for this. We're going to make a list of the specific unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging behavior in your kid reliably and predictably. So the first earth-moving thing that happens with people who are first being exposed to collaborative problem-solving is they um, put the right lenses on. That's huge. I, I can't say enough about how big that is. Next, they discover as they start making a list of the highly specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating their child's challenging episodes, they, they have their next aha moment. That's the moment at which they say, yes, I'm drinking tea. I was reading this article saying that I should drink more green tea. Apparently I should also be eating more salmon. Well, why not? We're making a list of the highly specific unsolved problems. The next aha moment is, wait a second, my, my kid's challenging behavior is actually highly predictable. I've been saying that his behavior always, his explosions or his challenging behaviors, they always occur out of the blue. They're unpredictable. Not true. Challenging behavior is actually highly predictable. That's crucial. This kid's not a mystery. He's lacking crucial cognitive skills, and we can figure out what they are. And those lacking cognitive skills are biting us under certain highly predictable conditions. Those conditions, those unsolved problems are biting us sometimes every hour, often every day, at the very least, almost every week. As I've often said, each challenging kid has a pile of unsolved problems that's been following him around for a very long time and causing friction between him and the folks he lives with and the folks sometimes he's at school with for a very long time and causing all sorts of challenging behaviors. We know what they are. Good. That's important on a few counts. Number one, now, boy, now we really know him. Lagging skills, and we know what they are. Unsolved problems, and we know what they are. There's like six, seven, eight unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating your kid's challenging behavior. But it also means, beyond the fact that we now understand and that this is a predictable kid, it means that we don't have to wait until we're back in the middle of another challenging episode before we start trying to deal with it yet again. If we know it's coming, and we know it's coming, we can deal with these unsolved problems before they pop up again proactively. Here's part of an email from another mom. Um, how do you defuse a kid when he gets so upset so quickly that he can't catch his breath? I couldn't even state my concern because he got upset so quickly. Plan A's not working. 
the solution to that is to solve problems before they pop up yet again. The way you make that happen is to make yourself a list. And for some parents, I recommend that they make a list, not just from memory, but that they keep track for a week. Keep track for a week, not only of the things that caused explosions, caused things at the extreme end of the spectrum that I'm about to talk about, but just anything that causes friction. Because sometimes things that cause friction cause massive blowouts, and sometimes things that cause friction don't cause massive blowouts. You're trying to make a list of anything that causes friction between you and your challenging kid, any disagreements both the ones that have an extreme response attached to them and the ones that at least in one or two instances didn't. There's your list. There's the list of problems that need to be solved. Once they're solved, and now we've got cause for optimism, lots of parents of challenging kids are just very overwhelmed. This, is just, this just feels so big. They're getting so overwhelming, this, getting so much contradictory advice from so many different places, from, maybe from the pediatrician, maybe from the TV, maybe from parenting books. I found this when my uh, first child was having difficulty breastfeeding. It amazed me how many people weighed in with remarkably contradictory advice on what my wife and I ought to be doing about that. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's also got an opinion on what's the matter with challenging kids, what's the matter with their parents, and what their parents ought to be doing differently. Well, if you're listening to this program, here's the advice you're getting. View your kid through the right lenses, lagging skills, Make a list of the specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating his challenging episodes. And then once you start solving those problems, life gets better. It's those unsolved problems, those disagreements that have been causing conflict in the first place. Solve them. Ooh, solve them collaboratively, not unilaterally. Not by imposing your will. Solve them collaboratively, and they'll be solved durably. And they won't be causing challenging behavior anymore. There is a certain simplicity to collaborative problem solving. Don't let its simplicity deceive you. It's hard. When do you want to be solving those problems? Proactively. See, there's two ways, and this is completely specific to timing. There's two timing facets on Plan B. You could do Plan B in the heat of the moment. That's called Emergency Plan B, and I don't recommend it. Or you could make your list of unsolved problems. Pick the two or three that you want to start working on first, and then start proactively doing collaborative problem-solving with your kid on each of those one, two, or three problems, one at a time, proactively. Not only are parents of challenging kids often very overwhelmed, they're also 
like parents of well-behaved kids, busy. Um, solving problems emergently is not going to get the job done, which means we're going to have to carve out time to actually do proactive, collaborative problem solving. Perhaps a certain time every day that you're going to do the three ingredients of Plan B that we're not going to get to until the next program in any type of detail. We need to start carving out some time. Your challenging kid has proved quite convincingly that if you intervene emergently, whether you're doing Plan A or Plan B, whether you're doing unilateral problem solving or collaborative problem solving, doing it in the heat of the moment when a highly predictable unsolved problem has popped up yet again, it's just not the best strategy. It's, I mean, emergency B is there if you need it, but emergency B, in my experience, tends not to go very well unless you've got a fair amount of proactive plan B under your belt and unless you've started changing the tone of interactions between you and your kid already, and that's mostly accomplished by using plan B proactively. One, two, well, actually, the first task, and this is what I really wanted to focus on today, the first task, make your list. First task, download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems from the Lives in the Balance website from the paperwork section. Print it out. Fill it out. If you want to call in next week and tell us what, you filled out for your challenging kid what his lagging skills are. And by the way, I use his, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be a her. And then what highly specific unsolved problems are reliably and predictably precipitating challenging behavior? What disagreements? What? Oh, and one thing you don't want to write in in the unsolved problem section is the word no. Too vague. You want to be as specific as possible. The word no is too vague. What are you saying no about? That's the unsolved problem. Can I watch TV another 10 minutes? No. All right, so the, it's not the word no. It's screen time. That's your unsolved problem. Disagreements about how much time to spend in front of the screen. Can I stay up another half hour later? No. That, that's not the word no. The word no is not your unsolved problem. What time should Johnny or Susie be going to bed? That's your unsolved problem. I don't like what you made for dinner. Can I have something else? No. No is not your unsolved problem. Food choices is the unsolved problem. How are you going to solve those problems? Collaboratively, not unilaterally. See, this is, to me, one of the easy parts about challenging kids. They've, it's been, they've, it's quite clear. Plan A isn't getting the job done. And there are still many people who would give you advice, well, if Plan A isn't getting the job done, hasn't gotten the job done, do more of it. Mm, I don't think so. I think if the way you've been going about solving problems with your kid unilaterally, through imposition of adult will, hasn't been working and is accounting for your kid's worst moments, I don't think there's tremendous risk 
in trying to solve those very same problems a different way, a way that actually has a chance of working durably. Some people will say to me, well, Plan A worked on Tuesday. If it still wasn't working on Wednesday, you're still not out of the woods. What I think I will uh, end today's program with is just one other piece here. Now you know why challenging kids explode. The demands or exhibit challenging behavior. I actually am not in love with the word explosive and never have been. Sometimes I slip and still use it. You know when your kid exhibits challenging behavior? It's when the demands being placed upon him exceed the skills that he has to deal with it adaptively, to deal with those demands adaptively. What does he do when that happens? Well, earlier I mentioned a spectrum. I've come to call it the spectrum of looking bad. There's the easy end of the spectrum. There's the severe end of the spectrum. I don't actually view the different points on the spectrum all that differently. But what's at the easy end of the spectrum of looking bad? Whining, pouting, sulking, crying. What what do criers do when the demands being placed upon them exceed their capacity to respond adaptively? They cry. What do whiners do? They whine. Powders, pout. Screamers, scream. Now we're moving a little further down the spectrum. Swearers, swear. Hitters, hit. Kicking, spitting, throwing, destroying, cutting. All that really tells us is where the kid is on the spectrum of looking bad. doesn't tell us why he's looking bad. Lagging skills plus demands for those skills. doesn't tell us when, with whom, over what, where he's looking bad. Those are your unsolved problems. Boy, filling out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems can help us understand a lot. can help us get the right lenses on. can help a kid be highly predictable. can help us feel much less overwhelmed. And propels us into the solving of problems, which is what I'm going to talk about the entire next program. Next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time for 45 minutes, unless we have some callers, I'm going to talk about Plan A, Plan B, and Plan C, three different ways of solving problems, and not just with challenging kids, also with regular old kids, also between adults, the three ways human beings solve problems with each other. You already know what plan A is. It's when you impose your will. Plan B is when you solve a problem collaboratively. Plan A is when you're solving a problem unilaterally. Plan C is when you're saying to yourself, I'm not solving this problem right now. i got a list of six, seven, eight unsolved problems. I know I can't solve them all at once. I'm not going to try to solve them all at once. I'm going to pick one, two, three at a time. These other four or five, six unsolved problems I'm not going to deal with right now. I'm going to to table them for now. Those are your three options. The option that, of course, on this program I'm going to try very hard to help people get good at, that's plan B, solving problems collaboratively. When you're solving problems collaboratively with a kid, 
He's a participant in the process. He's participating. He's bought in. The solutions tend to be more durable. Plan B doesn't tend to cause challenging behavior unless there's something about Plan B that's really hard for a kid, and we'll figure that out. That's what we're going to try to help you get good at. And uh, next week's program will probably be somewhat introductory like this one, and then um, we're going to hear from parents what they're having trouble with, maybe even some success stories. That's moving forward. Thanks for uh, joining in today. I hope you found this to be informative. That's the goal. Um, And join in next week where we'll talk more about collaborative problem solving and how to help make things better between you and your challenging kid. Talk to you then. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.